Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. He's one of our favorites because he's sharp, he's up and coming. He's been all over media lately. He's been doing it. We're going to link to all his stuff. James Janowski, always great to have you back, our friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Man, you you cover tech and stuff, so boy, howdy, is business a-booming for you, my friend. Yeah, it's always busy in the world of technology, uh, especially now that Elon Musk is full-throated into it outside of Starlink and Tesla. You know, Now he's into the social media stuff, and we're all just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Musk for the most of this, but I wanted to ask you a big-picture question first before we get into it. Yeah. Um, we now know the Republicans are going to have the majority in the House, but not much, You know, five, six seats, somewhere in that neighborhood. They're going to wind up with about 219. I also talk to you a lot because you pay attention to these hearings that get headlines, but people don't really pay attention to the ins and outs of it. We've talked about it over and over again. Tech companies, big tech, tech regulations, social media, all these things. We're going to have hearings like we always have on them. They're going to pull them up there. The Republicans are going to be in charge of them instead of the Democrats now, like the last two years. What do you expect to happen in those hearing rooms? Because the not to use Meta because Facebook co-opted that, but kind of the overarching theme has always been most of the time the congressional folks kind of look dumb and like they don't know what they're talking about in these hearings, but then the headlines come out about regulation. Do you expect there to be a noticeable change in the regulatory hearings and the pressure from Washington on these tech companies? Yeah, I think that there will be some degree of change, uh, given that Republicans did not go and take over uh, both chambers and the majority, as you noted, that they have uh, is a little bit slimmer than I think people might have anticipated. I'm sure that will go and change what it might look like, but there is definitely an anticipated uh, level of scrutiny that will come with a Republican leadership against tech companies, and some of it is certainly well-deserved. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a focus on oversight, Uh you know, and that's a good thing. I think that, you know, they want to go and hold the Biden administration accountable for other areas where they've been less than ideal. Um, and I think that they also want to look a little bit more closer at, at his son, Hunter Biden, and their family business dealings. They've been very uh, clear about wanting to pursue that. But when it comes to technology, um, I'm sure we'll go and get back to the wonderful conversations around Section 230 um, and what things might look like in, in a Republican vision uh, for 230 reform or some other kind of bill, like, for example, uh, Representative Jim Jordan and Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers, they have a bill that would basically expand the Hatch Act, uh, and that would be an effort to try to reduce the ability of a government actor to, to engage in what's called jawboning of these social media companies, uh, essentially pressuring them to take action on content. Um, that's something that we've heard about being reported through various outlets over the past year and change. 
uh, whether that was the FBI and their interactions with Facebook or, um, you know, DHS and their interactions with many of these social media platforms or other actors within the Biden administration, more broadly speaking. Uh, so Jen Psaki, for example, uh, in that Missouri lawsuit that Eric Schmidt has over job voting, uh, she tried getting out of having to do a deposition, but the judge denied that motion. Uh, so she might have to go and, and get deposed by General Schmidt, who will soon be in the Senate as uh, Senator Schmidt uh, and that team over there. So there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. I think it opens up a lot of opportunities to have different kinds of conversations in technology that are very important. So I think that there's it's not all bad by any stretch of the definition, but there's actually a lot of good opportunities here, too. Yeah, James Janowski joining us. That's Congress. Do you see any change, because you do this all the time now, you've been doing all these hits, do you see any change in how the news media is covering technology? Because it feels a little bit like we're in a bit of a narrative rut with big tech. Um, I don't even like that term big tech because it's too expansive, but that's what we got to work with. Does it feel like we're in a little bit of a narrative rut here? It doesn't seem like we're really moving the ball on the news media or the investigation stuff. I know the Musk stuff's loud, but that kind of, Un that kind of uncovered for me when I actually step back and look at it, is like, oh, we're just taking all these existing narratives and then putting it on top of the Twitter thing instead of actually investigating what's happening with Twitter. And I'm just using that as an example. Does it feel that way to you? Because it seems like we're having the same tech conversation over and over again now. We're not really moving the ball forward much. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right, is that we're revisiting and relitigating a lot of the same conversations in terms of like, let's say, 230. It's about what it does and does not do. Um, you know, the constitutionality of a lot of these bills that are being presented and ideas. Uh, but there's definitely a vested interest in wanting to be critical of the tech companies. And again, some of it is deserved. And a lot of it, I would say, is not. I don't think, for example, that it's fair to go and put addiction uh, for, for social media uh, on kids. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily a fair claim. I don't think that the data bears that out. I think that there's a lot of focus on the negative because negativity sells, unfortunately. Uh, particularly if it's tied to fear or outrage. So whether that's in the instance of going back to my previous comments, like the the jawboning from government to the tech companies or looking at, you know, unfortunately a child who died because she did a blackout challenge on TikTok. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are happening and, and none of them are great, but to go and put it at the feet of social media, I think is grossly inappropriate too. Um, so I think that there's there's conversations that have to happen but we also need to go and shift how some of it is being talked about and get to the root causes of what some of these issues are and what kinds of things we can do as a society to go and tackle some of those issues because there are things that technology companies can do. Um, and unfortunately, I don't like the big tech thing either because I actually think that it lends them too much credence in that you know they're, they're these all-powerful beings that can go and control so much and yet uh, you know, Twitter is a company that just got bought out by Elon Musk and, you know, Meta's shaved $800 billion off of its uh, market capitalization. So these companies are nowhere near as powerful as people would like to think. Um, and they're making mistakes and they, they can't really go and solve all these problems on their own. So I think that there's room for us to have conversations about other angles where we can go and tackle teen mental health or, or addiction or other kinds of problems that we're seeing pop up. Yeah, James Jarnowski joining us. You just mentioned it. There seems to be a little bit of a shift on the business side. And this is one of the reasons I like talking about you because you don't just talk about the content side. You understand the business side of this stuff. Amazon doing some pairing back on their, what we used to call the enterprise side of a corporate business. I don't know if they use that term anymore, but the computer side, the technology side. 
uh, drawdowns, drawbacks, stunting their own growth a little bit, doing some layoffs. Um, other tech companies, we've seen kind of an adjustment. What's going on with that? Is it the post-COVID era where everything got more online and now this is kind of a natural adjustment back? Uh, look, trees don't grow the skies, the old stock thing. Is Amazon just kind of reaching the cap of what it's going to be as a company? As big as it is, there is going to be a limit on it. What do you make of those kind of headlines in the tech space that we're seeing this? It's not a loss, really, but it's more of a stunting of growth and some jobs pairing back. But it's noticeable when it's one of the biggest companies in the world in Amazon that had an exponential growth before this. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And I think the reality is, is that when you look at the past few years, the COVID certainly played a role, especially with lockdowns. Everybody had to basically go online, which meant that a lot of their basic activities were shifted online. Um, so these companies had a lot of money flowing into them as a result of that um, by no fault of their own. Um, and they invested to go and support that growth that they had. And now that we're out of the pandemic, um, or we're at least, you know, putting it in the rearview mirror more so day by day, the problem becomes that basically uh, these companies are realizing that they might have over invested or over allocated resources in these ways. So like Meta went and laid off 13% of its workforce at 11,000 jobs. Amazon laid off 10,000 jobs. Um, you know, you had Twitter basically lose well over 50% of its employee base by now. And if you added up all the different jobs that have been cut back in the tech industry uh, in the past year, more or less, it adds up to well over 120,000 jobs that have been lost, which is larger than the dot-com bust back in the day uh, during the early era of the internet as well. So I think that there's a lot of readjustment going on right now. Part of that's due to COVID, part of that's due to bad investments, um, even Disney is going and pairing back and expected to do some layoffs. CNN is expected to do some layoffs. So everybody's feeling the pinch, right? And part of that's also due to the policies that were enacted during COVID uh, that had led to a lot of inflation, which meant that access to capital was a little bit harder uh, and more expensive. And then companies aren't as willing to make those investments when the cost of capital is a lot higher, right? So I think that there's a lot of factors going in here. Yeah. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. And Iger's back at Disney now, too. Something somebody yeah. we'll talk about that in the future. That's a very interesting development. Uh, James Ranowski joins us. Okay, let's talk about the big disruption in tech that we've all been hearing nonstop for the last few weeks. Elon Musk at Twitter. Let's start with this part of it, though. Um, for example, headline of the Atlantic right now What will writers do without Twitter? Twitter is dying. Um, I even put this out of I think that part of it's too much doom and gloom. I, I, I was joking on Twitter. I was like, I'd love to go back to like 1996 me and explain that there'd be this random Thursday night in 2022 where hundreds of people start sending me their phone number just to see the reaction. 
Yeah. I now, think the overreaction, I don't think it's going away because it's too ingrained of a platform. I think whatever's happening with Elon Musk is important, but I also think it's a phase one way or the other. I think the doom and gloom's overwrought. What do you think? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I certainly agree with you 100%. I think that people have looked at the Twitter situation with Elon Musk and they've come to their conclusions one way or another. Um, and I think part of it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they want it to fail um, because they don't like Elon Musk since he's uh, become such an unorthodox thinker in a public manner that would make them think that he is not necessarily aligned with them on every issue. Um, so I think that that certainly has drawn a fair bit of blowback where people want the, the platform to fail, uh, undoubtedly so. And then, you know, you see some of the changes that Elon's making and there are certainly some, uh, you know, things that would be cause for concern for some folks. And that's why you're seeing some people go and leave uh, over to Mastodon or, or other exploring other options as well. Um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, though, the notion that Twitter is going to just die uh, you know, overnight, that's that's well overblown. I think that if you're talking about a company dying, like I look at Meta, um, and I think that their long-term prospects don't look great, and that's because they have a very difficult time right now of attracting young people to their platform in a profitable manner. And if you're Twitter, the problem isn't necessarily that. The problem is how are you going to go and attract users to your platform and then attract ad revenue to your platform? Since so many of these platforms are driven by ad revenue, um, you know, how do you go and deliver that value to both sides of the equation while also maintaining your goal? If you're Elon Musk of promoting more, more speech online, um, unsurprisingly, it doesn't seem like too many people actually would like that goal, uh, which puts them in conflict in some ways. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all transpires, but I think that the, the writing Twitter off uh, aspect of all this is just, it's loony. It's insane to me. I don't think this company is dying tomorrow. I do think that it's a company that, um, you know, will go and hopefully set itself on the right track in the long run. Once Elon, uh, identifies that CEO for himself to go and execute his vision for the company. Yeah. James Janowski, here's the problem with the Twitter story as I, I see it. And I've got my strong thought. Look, we've talked about, we've done whole episodes of still Elon, you and me together. I have my strong thoughts on Elon, but there's really two parts to the Twitter story because the truth is the average user on Twitter isn't noticing much of a difference right now on the content side of it. Now, I know because I can read the business side. I know this is a horrible business deal. He way overpaid for it. He's way over leveraged. He's got a lot of things to do, all the Tesla stock. We could delve into all that. So I also understand the business side of it. But there's no way in the way we do things when we write an op-ed or we do a media hit to bridge those two things into one soundbite it's not possible and that's the part of the problem with the story and then you've got the elon thing on top of it which he's just a huge personality who does whatever he wants to do because he's rich and famous and everybody tells him what a genius he is and he has no guardrails that's the third part of that story is that a fair way to parse it out is like that's why people have a hard time getting to the to what's actually going on with that yeah, I think I think it's kind of hard because if you're a daily user, like, and it is not an unfair assessment, like, um, you know, his former director of uh, of security, right, Yoel, um, was actually going over that, and in the New York Times op-ed where he was talking about how Elon empowered his team to go and take more action on content. Uh, so in some ways, they actually reduced the amount of bad things that you would see on Twitter under Elon Musk's tenure, despite all of his talk about wanting more speech and and everything else. Um, so there's actually, I think, a little bit of a disparity here between what it's being characterized as versus what the reality is on the ground with the actual platform itself. 
Um, so it's easy to go and make those judgments. But we see that every single time, just like when it was originally announced that he was going to go on my Twitter, all of a sudden conservatives saw upticks in their follower counts and you know more engagement on their posts. And they're like, oh, Twitter's done something different. And the reality is, is that it's been the same thing it's been the whole time. Uh, just more people choose to, you know, leverage the platform in a different way all of a sudden uh, because of expected differences in the future. Um, so I think that it, it presents a very interesting conversation to your point about Elon. You know, he basically is the new Donald Trump of Twitter. The man is, an, uh, he's a lightning rod to, to any kind of conversation with anything he says. The second that he put presses tweet, he's going to go and get everybody on either side of the equation just jumping right on in. And that also makes it very difficult from a business perspective because it's like the man is literally his own worst headache in that instance. Um, you know, now he reinstated Donald Trump last night and it was just by a simple poll. And unsurprisingly, there are a lot of people who are happy about that. There are a lot of people who are very angry about that. Yeah, he was going to do that anyway. The poll was the cover for it, but we'll we'll parse that out. So, <laughs> also, he happens to you know reinstate Trump. Why does Tesla has to do a massive recall? But I'm sure that was coincidental, Elon. But uh, James Zernowski is always great with this stuff. Here, here's where I'm at on the Elon stuff. And again, I'm not unbiased because I got my issues with the man. I think this was inevitable. We even talked about this back during the very long run up to him purchasing. I think the puppy caught the truck and now the puppy's got to learn how to drop stick. When you take over a company like that, especially if you've never done a tech heavy social media, look, engineers run those companies because they have to, because you got a platform to run. We knew there was going to be a learning curve. So Elon, it's louder and messier because he won't stop talking about it. He won't just go away and fix it. There's a large learning curve. I think we're just going to be in a period where he either gets bored with it or he appoints somebody and steps back from the day to day because he's not going to do this forever. He can't. Nobody can. He's, he's, he's not going to do it. I think that's why I'm talking about is just kind of let this phase of Twitter go through and then we'll see what Twitter would be. I think this goes another, you know, maybe I said Christmas is where I put the over under. I think this goes a little while and then it'll go back to running like a normal company as Elon steps back and they kind of do whatever they his vision is going forward. I think then you panic. Right now, I don't think anybody really knows. I don't think Elon Musk knows. I don't think Twitter knows. I think this thing's just going to have to play out now that he put all this money into it. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I think I'll take the over on Christmas and expect that if he's going to go and do the change at CEO, it'll be a 2023 move. I think right now it's his plaything. Um, and he's trying to go and move fast and break things in the traditional Silicon Valley way. Um, unfortunately, to your point, it's a steep learning curve because Twitter actually did a lot of things for a reason, like the blue check system was there for a reason. Um, and him trying to democratize the blue check, while it sounds nice in theory, because of the way that it was deployed in the past, it's viewed as a trust system. So if all of a sudden an Eli Lilly you know, uh, fake account pops up with a blue check on it saying that we're going to give away insulin for free, uh, even though, you know, he's decided to democratize the blue check, it does create a problem uh, because, you know, people are associating blue check with trust. So that's something that has to adjust over time. So I think that, you know, ultimately he will go and appoint somebody for the company. That's what was always in the best interest of the company. And then it also goes and puts him like a degree removed from everything, too, um, because right now I think that he gets extra levels of scrutiny applied to him because of the fact that he's actively tweeting and being very aggressive um, in terms of some of his replies, like, I mean, he's gone after sitting senators like Ed Markey, uh, which is kind of interesting. Like, you know, um, and Ed not Markey, the guy you want to go over either, because Ed Markey is not a social media center. He's a nuts and bolts senator that actually knows how the mechanisms work. That's not the fight I would have picked if I was Elon, just to be frank. 
Yeah, and, and Ed Markey had no problem, and, and not that I'm fond of it, but Ed Markey had no problem being like, do you like, do you really want to go and uh, you know do this with like a sitting senator? Uh, you know, lots of people were very quick to point out that he sits on very key uh, committees that Elon has business interests in. Um, so as to whether or not that that's like the wisest thing in the world uh, is a separate question altogether. Uh, but, you know, again, that's Elon being a lightning rod at his finest. He, he really does not seemingly care, despite the fact that he's, you know, got billions of dollars tied up uh, with some of these things. And, and senators can certainly be a, a legitimate threat to that. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, I think Twitter will go and be fine. It's something that you have to let play out in the long run. So I've done a lot of media hits, as you've noted, on, on Elon Musk and Twitter lately. And the reality is, is that like one of the questions I get asked is like, you know, what what do you think the long-term future is there? Like, do you think it'll be around? Do you think it'll die? I'm like, it's a little unfair to judge it at this point. It's way too soon. You need to go. It's not going to die like in a month. It's going to, if it's going to die, it's going to take at least six months a year, if not longer. Um, Cause Elon's not just going to go and throw in the towel after 30, 45 days. Like, you know, he's already talked about potentially doing a chapter 11 restructure if he needs to. Um, but he's already lost so much of the workforce. So he's, he's done some cost savings that way too. So I think that there's a lot of things that he can do to make this right if he wants the company to survive in the long term. And I think that he genuinely does want that to be the case. So we'll have to see is what I ultimately think on, on Elon and all of this. James Janowski, I've got to ask you about it because it's it's a bubbling story that we're going to be hearing about for a while. It happened right as the election happened. I think buried it a little bit more. The FTX mess. I don't want to get into the crypto coin side of it so yeah. much because everybody has their preconceived notions on that. They filed this as a bankruptcy. Mm. Now, just quick background. Bankruptcy is a very specific legal action, especially when it comes to a major corporation. I think this thing goes criminal really, really fast because, and I've look, I've personally been through a bankruptcy. I've done it. I've talked to a couple of our lawyer friends. Like, there's not it. They their paperwork was so sloppy. They can't even do the bankruptcy. Is what I'm hearing from people that know. That's how bad this. People are like, well, is this like Enron? I'm like, no. This is multitudes worse than Enron. Enron had records. There's not even records for most of this stuff. Just for people who don't follow that space, because it is still a niche space as much as our Bitcoin friends want to be, I don't think people realize how explosive this story is going to be because this touches governments, this touches celebrities. This thing's going to get really, really ugly, and I think it gets in criminal court sooner rather than later because the bankruptcy court's not going to be able to move forward here. Yeah, and I think that this is a case where like the technology and the fact that it was so niche um, kind of covered up what was already existing bad, you know, behavior from these actors at FTX. Uh, and I don't necessarily disagree with your assessment that it will turn criminal a lot faster. And to your point of it being worse than Enron, the guy who's running the bankruptcy for FTX was the guy who managed the Enron bankruptcy. And he was like, this particular one with FTX is the worst I've ever seen in my career, uh, which would include Enron, which is kind of like a crazy thing to think about. Uh, that's something that can go on top of that. But they were so alarmingly bad, to your point about not really having any discernible documents tracking customer money, 
their expense report system was kind of interesting where it's like, hey, just submit it and then it'll get approved or denied via emoji. Uh, that sounds a little interesting. Uh, you know, he had a personal loan given out to him by Alameda Research for a billion dollars. This is the CEO of FTX, Sam Berkman Freed. Uh, and and then they were he, dating. Let's get that out of the way. Yes. And, and the, the person who was running Alameda was dating him. Uh, and then on top of that, his chief engineer got another half billion dollar personal loan too. like the kind of stuff that happened here was already criminal behavior at, at the best case scenario. What you could argue is that it's gross incompetence of the likes of which we have never seen before. And that's your best case scenario. But realistically speaking, I do think that there was some legitimate fraud. Uh, that was engaged in here. And those are those are already existing laws. And the problem is that because crypto's niche, um, the education gap meant that people were not quick enough to understand what exactly the guy was doing and created a whole set of other problems here. So I think that that's where you need to focus looking forward. It's not about regulating crypto. It's about going and educating lawmakers, regulators, staffers about what crypto is, what crypto is not, what these different vehicles are. Um, so that way we can avoid what xtf is because the the rise and fall of ftx in the span of a few years time is something that's quite crazy and in terms of the fraud it's the largest financial scandal that we've had in the united states basically since bernie madoff and that's kind of crazy um you know i it's it's wild every single day uh that this story continues to develop and it's something that we'll have to continue monitoring looking forward yeah James Ornowski. All right. You, you pay way closer attention to this stuff, so I don't have to, I can just ask you about it. Give us two or three things that aren't Elon and not Facebook and not politically related. What's some tech stuff coming down the pike here as we start looking towards 2023, a lot of developments going on. What's one or two things you're really keeping an eye on as stuff that could be really important. Folks should be keeping an eye on. Yeah. I mean, I think the crypto side is impossible to ignore just because, uh, of that situation with FTX, it, it puts a lot of extra scrutiny on it. Um, so, you know, you've already seen like the New York Fed go and announce a pilot CBDC program. So that's something, a central bank digital currency. Um, so that's something that will be interesting to see how that continues to unfold and what the results of that pilot are and what that means in terms of congressional action, if anything. Um, and in general, I think, you know, the other big one that we'll, we'll see talked about moving forward in 2023 is like kids and being online uh, and their relationship with technology. That'll be one of the other big things as well. And then the one that I'm personally always very excited about that I think people should always keep an eye on um, is just our interactions with space um, in general. Like this year we had the rocket uh, launched at an asteroid to see whether or not we could go and, and force the asteroid to move off of its you know projected path. Um, you know, as like a simulation in the event that you had like one of those disaster situations of an asteroid coming to kill Earth or something. Um, and like, you know, that that's actually really fascinating stuff. And as we start looking at how we can get into space more, I think that that's actually very exciting and might actually be a positive thing. I think it'll get us to shift off of the focus on big tech so much and let us go and engage in our inner nerd of uh, wanting to go and, you know, be Star Trek, the final frontier and exploring space again and wanting to engage in, you know, asteroid mining and other kinds of cool technologies um so i'm personally excited about that one the most but that's just me being a nerd at heart yeah we got to get you with our friend dr michael siegel our space guy because he 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 just keeps says like oh this is the most fascinating time ever in the history of space flight like we're just not appreciating it we just did an episode on that about a week ago uh james arnowski you always bring good information 
you make sure to use small words so I understand it really well, even though you're one of these really super smart guys, and I appreciate that. Let folks know where they can keep up with you and follow you until we get you back on Hertel again, my friend. Yeah, so you can always go and follow me on Twitter at JamesCZ19, uh, and then you can go and see my work at the Young Voices website, which is www.young-voices.com. And um, I have a personal website at jamesjanowski.com too, where you can go and check out all the stuff that I'm doing. So uh, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, he's so good now that at youngvoices.org, he's actually on the top banner now. Congratulations. You got a bump, my friend. <laughs> and uh, we'll have you on lots because technology is just, look, that's the fastest growing covered journalism beat there is. I just read about the other day. So we'll keep talking about it. You do great work. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Oh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, she's back. Been a minute since she's been here, but we always enjoy talking to Leslie Corbley. She's another one of these great young voices contributors we have. She works for uh, Libertas or Libertas. You say it differently than I do because you're smarter than me and went to college and all them sorts of things. So you can explain it to the folks. But we're going to talk a little bit about big tech and regulation today. Leslie, great to see you again. Thanks so much for having me back on. Oh, anytime. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I think we need to do a little background here because... Tech has become like a lot of things in culture and politics. It's become real buzzword heavy. Everybody just, oh, Facebook's doing this. And Twitter, of course, Twitter's eating everything up right now. There's some background we got to get through here. This particular lawsuit, this NCLA lawsuit, New Civil Liberties Alliance that we're going to be working with, you've read about it in Daily Caller. Read her whole piece. We're going to link to it. A lot of links in there, too. Make sure you read all the links. This lawsuit's dealing mostly with Facebook, though. When we're dealing with regulation, especially Facebook, who is spending tens of millions of dollars of legislation, what's the background that's led up to this lawsuit to where you're touching on? Because before we deal with the lawsuit, we got to know the groundwork of why there's a lawsuit and why there's a regulation problem in the first place, right? Sure. So this lawsuit, NCLA joined the lawsuit in August. It was initially filed by two attorney generals um, in Missouri and Louisiana. So the actual title of the lawsuit is Missouri v. Uh, Biden, I believe. So that's where you you see these attorney generals were concerned with uh, whether the federal government was essentially coercing private companies into making content moderation policies that were favorable to the government and the kind of information that the government wanted to flow to the public. So it stems from um, from those those issues that had arisen out of you know, COVID disputes regarding what is and is not misinformation, what should or should not be shared. Uh, and it's a, the lawsuit's attempting to sort of uncover and unpack the relationship between the federal government and various te technological companies, particularly Facebook. Yeah, in your piece, you kind of set it up this way. You said, the case will answer an important policy question. I'm quoting from your piece in the caller. To what extent are the content moderation decisions social media companies have made over the last several years influenced by the threat of government action? Now, let's do just a little bit of background because people lose their mind when they talk about social media and we get stuck in the moment. Every company in America 
has decision making based on government regulation because that's just you have to or you're not going to be in business very long, whether you're, you know, a fast food joint or an oil change place or a medical company or whatever. Your whole business is regulated to some extent by the government. So, of course, you think about it. And, of course, the really big government agencies and the big businesses, they communicate with each other because you're talking about millions and billions of tax dollars and millions and billions of profit and loss if you screw this stuff up. So just communicating is not malfeasance in and of itself. It's good business practice, good governmental practice, because you don't want the government just swinging the hammer. You want them warning people like do. So that gets us to this lawsuit, though. We don't have a real good, hard, fast, defined lines here on that kind of communication, do we? And that's kind of the base issue here because social media, this was a disruptor. This changed how government and people and businesses communicated. And those blurred lines is where this lawsuit is trying to deal with. Is that a fair way to kind of summarize all this? It is. Uh, it's it's troubling in the sense that we don't have, like you said, there are not clear, there's not a clear delineation of what is appropriate communication between government actors and state, or sorry, state and or government actors and corporate actors as it relates to the creation of their uh, content moderation policies. And the reason that's so important is because most information now flows through large uh, companies um, that host have platforms on the internet. Now, whether or not, say, Facebook or Twitter is going to end up dominating for the next 10 to 15 years, I don't know. But what's more relevant is that whoever were to take that place, let's say, is going to have a similar role. Uh, so it's the roles and the relationships that uh, concern me more than, you know, the particular company. Right. It's it's to yeah. what extent can government essentially a report on Cato, by the way, I linked to that I think is really important, talks about this in terms of what's called job owning, which would be the government using its regulatory power to effectively coerce companies into creating policies they may not otherwise have chosen to create, uh, so on and so forth. And what this really, in my opinion, uh, highlights is the blurred lines between our public and private sectors across the economy. And that's really troubling because you don't want the government to have such a heavy-handed role in corporate decision-making, and yet that's exactly what you see. As, as you mentioned, it makes rational sense for these companies to be concerned with what government um, may or may not do in relation to their regulatory power over those companies. So that's, I think, the, the base level concern as well is what do we do to ensure that companies can act of their own volition without uh, undue influence from, from uh, government actors? Yeah, Leslie Corbley joining us. Now, what brought a lot of this to a head, like a lot of things right now, is we're still trying to figure out how we reacted, what we did, and how everybody reacted to the COVID situation. This is, of course, a situation where you're trying, the government need, let, let's just be fair, the government needed to get mass amounts of information to everybody as fast as possible because it's a public health issue. Social media is the most immediate, most directed people method we've ever seen in the history of humankind. And that's where all the trouble started because now you get into, well, what's misinformation, what's not, not misinformation. And to be fair to the tech companies, yeah, they're they're doing it, but they're also worried about the government coming in and either you know regulating them or suing them or something if they get it wrong because they don't know the rules either. The government didn't know the rules either. We've talked to some of our scientist friends like Dr. Michael Siegel. Like we, one thing we learned was public health officials and government officials really don't know how to talk to common people, especially when tweeting at them or Facebook posting at them. This turned into a big hot mess. However, 
it showed going forward when we need to get information to people, it's got to go through social media. So how do we handle that? And that's what really brought this whole thing to a head. Yes, uh, the COVID crisis certainly is really the backdrop of this lawsuit. Uh, it's hard for me to fathom that it would have come to the place we're at now without the uh, decisions that were made during that time period. And it's important, I do think, for listeners to understand that this lawsuit peers behind um, sort of the veil, so to speak, of these uh, cl- communications between government and tech companies, but it does so over a course of years. So some of the events and uh, information that came out of this lawsuit occurred before Biden took office. So this is not necessarily a um, a partisan issue of one administration taking the reins and doing something completely different than the other administration was was doing prior, which realistically isn't how governance works. You have a lot of you know, bureaucracies are fairly entrenched at a certain point and they have interests more or less of their own that continue to roll over from administration to administration. And as you mentioned, in the context of public health, it is understandable that government wanted to get information out as quickly as possible and also that they wanted that to be accurate. Uh, The same for technological companies. The problem comes from, from essentially trying is inserting government into a position where they're attempting to determine what is and is not true and what what information people can and cannot access. So it touches on a lot of issues that frankly aren't going to go away anytime soon, not just who determines what's true, to what extent should government be involved in content moderation policies of technological companies, but other things coming down the pike, which would be how our algorithms to be uh, regulated. You know, the FTC, for instance, wants to have a heavy hand in regulating the in regulating what algorithms can and cannot do. And then, of course, there's separate um, ethical issues for companies to determine of what should they be willing to discuss with government actors and what should they be willing to, to say, well, no, we're really not going to have that conversation or no, we're not willing to uh, engage in this line of inquiry. And it becomes really messy and really muddled because of the regulatory landscape. So with Facebook in particular, now Meta, they've had in the past a lot of threats of antitrust lawsuits from the government. And so you're looking at companies, in, in the case of Facebook or other large technological companies, that have interactions with various government agencies that have authority over them. So if they say here from the White House and are, are concerned maybe with a antitrust lawsuit, they're going to interpret all of the incoming information from the um, executive branch, you know, as sort of an entity, right? They're not going to separate out the the communication per se on the antitrust side from the White House because to some degree it's, it's all the same branch of government, right? Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played.
Leslie Corby joining us. Let's go to the legal aspect of this real quick. There's terminology in here that has to be hashed out legally because when you go to something like a lawsuit, tort law, things like this, terminology matters. And it matters a lot because you're trying to discern intent from terminology. You spend, you know, two paragraphs worth of time on here just on some terminology. Just listen to some of these words and you understand how the court gets turned up. You know, you just mentioned one of them, algorithms. You got to define what an algorithm is. Misinformation. Well, what does that mean? Because that means something different. You know, one person's misinformation is another person's lies. Another person's I'm living my truth, right? Look at some of these other terms you point out. These are quotes. Turned up the heat. Well, what does that mean? What's the difference between a, quote, request and, quote, a threat from the government? Because we all know when the IRS requests your taxes, yeah, it's a request, but it's also a threat because if you don't do it, everybody knows what happened. We're laughing about it, but in a court of law, this is exactly what lawsuits and torts, and this is what it is. You have to define what these is, discern intent, and that's kind of the heart of these lawsuits. This is where the far-reaching effects come from, though, is if we get a legal definition of what they can and can't do with an algorithm, if we get a legal definition of misinformation, that's the core part of this that doesn't get the headlines. But legally, that's where the action is. Yes, it's it's a really troubling landscape to look at just long term from for the for one of the, for the sheer fact that it has such far-reaching effects, right? When you're looking at these issues as well, I think it's important important sometimes to say, take a step back and ask yourself basic questions. So for instance, what would the public response have been if back in 2000 or 2002, you know, go back 10, 15, 20 years ago, it had been found that the government was was telling a cable provider, you should not allow certain content on the air. Right. I think that would have been a pretty huge story. And you have a fairly analogous situation happening here, which is they're telling a platform, you know, Facebook or Twitter or these other tech companies, they essentially platform different content providers. That's functionally what they're doing. Right. Every it's just that they have many, many more content providers, so to speak, than, say, a cable station ever would have. Uh, But that's functionally what's happening is the government was attempting to say, you really need to not allow this on the air. Right. You need to you need to you need to somehow ensure that certain types of messages are downplayed. And there's again, the, the logic to that comes into play as far as the speed with which information travels across the Internet. It's not the same um, as the speed with which something could have traveled across even cable news back in 1980. Right. It's a it's a different beast as far as speed uh, and as far as the ability of anyone to put any information out into the public sphere. That being said, this problem is not going away. And I think there are deep, should be deep concerns with what happens when government becomes the one coming in from on high to sort of arbitrate what is and is not true, right? Is this going to make the problem better or worse? I would I would argue it makes it worse. As to what those lines specifically look like, as to what constitutes a request versus a threat, that's going to be difficult to tease out. It's going to be very hard to tease out because you're dealing with, like you said, um, situations where it makes sense for these two entities to be in contact on some level. Uh, But I think that there is a degree of collaboration that becomes highly disturbing from a perspective of maintaining uh, civil liberties, uh, free speech, and the type of climate for, for freedom to flourish that we've been accustomed to here in America.
Right. Leslie Corby joining us. This goes, let's, that was the legal details. Let's zoom back out big picture to what this case is going to eventually be about, even if it's not this case, the next case or the case after that, because this is going to keep happening in courts. This is a the free speech thing. Despite what Facebook and Twitter tells you, private companies are not you know, subject to the First Amendment. The big question here is the more government is in charge of a communication thing, the more the First Amendment does apply, though, whereas before you clicking that little content box and agreeing to terms of service, that changes things. The more the government's involved, the more the First Amendment applies. And the First Amendment applying to social media would solve three problems and it would create 14 more. That's kind of where this is all headed at some point is that if the government is in charge of a media platform, the First Amendment applies. If they don't, it doesn't. That's the core constitutional issue here. Yeah. Absolutely. It's to what extent it's essentially the the law. The question of the lawsuit is. Does the collaboration between government and the technology companies amount to what would be called state action? Uh, some would obviously argue that it does. Some would argue it does not. The right now, as the current the current state of the of the doctrine of state action is very difficult for plaintiffs to to win on on those on the grounds that something amounts to state action. Those are difficult lawsuits to mount and win. That being said, there clearly has to be a line somewhere <laughs> um, to determine, you know, the, the state is in fact as passing off its its power to a government act to a corporate actor, right? And allowing or sort of forcing a corporate actor to engage in conduct that the government cannot constitutionally engage in itself. So in some ways, uh sort of deputizing a, a company to engage in conduct that would otherwise violate the constitution. So again, the whether or not this this passes muster in a court of law is to be determined, uh, but it does the lawsuit is ongoing uh, and right now as it stands individuals well, government officials, not just individuals, but government officials such as Dr. Fauci will be deposed um, which will bring more information to light and hopefully shed light on the the nature of this relationship and maybe how likely the lawsuit is to fare moving forward. Yeah, this is going to be messy no matter what. Give us the timeline, though, for folks who want to keep up with this issue. I know they're waiting on depositions. There's going to be a court ruling on um, standing here. Give folks a little bit of a timeline if they want to keep up with this case and what's coming next. Sure, the depositions appear to be uh, moving forward, likely to occur this month. I know there was a, the government had sought to halt these depositions on November 2nd, appealing the ruling of the judge that was um, denied. So these depositions will move forward. Uh, I'll be continuing to follow this story. So to the extent that there's more information that comes out, I will certainly be uh, highlighting that on my, on my social media feeds and uh, through articles and things of that nature, because this is a very, in my view, a very, very important um, development. And I think all eyes should be on this lawsuit to see what uh, what happens here and what that means going forward. Yeah. And, and in the bigger picture, what's really happening is, is social media happened before we had any case law to deal with it. So all the case law doesn't really apply to it real neatly because it's mostly for you know, things like, you know, the old AT&T laws for Ma Bell. That's the kind of stuff they're trying to force onto this, and it just doesn't work. So we're building the case law for what these laws are going to look like in the future, and it's very important stuff. That means we're going to have to have you back and talk about it more, which we'll happily do because we love having you on. Uh, Leslie Corley, let people know until we do that how they can keep up with you, how they can keep up with the story, like you just said, your social media, your young voices, and everything else you got going on. 
you're a professional mover and shaker. You got some stuff coming up. Let folks know all about it. Sure. Thanks so much. I'm always happy to always happy to chat. So uh, you can follow me on at Corbly Leslie. That's my Twitter handle. I also have a website, just lesliecorbly.com. It's real easy. I post all of my content there. It houses every article, papers I write, um, media appearances, everything's there for folks to follow along. Those are two major uh, platforms I use. I'm also, of course, on Libertas, libertas.org. They publish all my work. I publish articles for them uh, and do a lot of a lot of great work there. You can also um, follow me. Those would probably be the three main platforms to follow me on right now. Um, and of course, follow Libertas for other uh, fantastic content. And uh, as always, I appreciate being on to chat with you and uh, Young Voices has been uh, phenomenal to work with. Yeah, they really have been. I've always enjoyed it. We appreciate your time. We're going to link to all this. Again, this piece has got a lot of links in the piece that you got to go through and read to kind of get the full context on this stuff. Do your homework, folks. Uh, we'll link to it. Make sure you read the whole thing. Follow her on social media, Leslie Corbley. We always appreciate the time. And thank you so much. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks. Thank you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That'll do it for Hertel. Remember, we'd love to hear from you. Hertel Show on the gmail.com. If you want to send us an email, Hertel Show on the Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Always happy. This doesn't work if you're not listening. So wherever you and yours are, thank you so much for listening. Until we talk to you again on Hertel, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll see you real soon. Right back here for more Hertel. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com.